If you brought your Bibles today, you can open them up to 1 Corinthians chapter 5. And if you, uh, if you missed it, we have a parental warning today. So uh, some of you I know are too, yeah, too immature to be in here already. So I'm just going to go ahead. If that's the person next to you, just tap them. Um, today we are digging into some tough stuff in 1 Corinthians. Uh, Paul has uh, planted a church in Corinth, the worst city in the world, Sin City. And over the next five years... He has a series of correspondence back and forth with this church that's, that's trying to figure it out. The issue is that there's way too much Corinth in this church and not enough Christ in the church. And so what is happening is, is Paul has probably got some sort of letter. We know Chloe has given him some sort of report of everything that's going on. Now, Paul, this, this pastor, this church planner, is holding this report that looks like a laundry list of issues, and he's, he's going down each issue, and like, I don't, I don't know if he had an office, but if you could just imagine him looking at this list, like, hitting his forehead and pacing back and forth. I mean, there are some really tough issues that he's dealing with. And so today, we're going to look at some of these issues, and then we're going to look at the values that Paul uses to answer these issues. Go ahead and put that first slide up there. Some of, in Paul's own words, some of the issues that we're going to look at begin like this. Here's how he begins talking about this issue in his own letter. The first thing he says is, I can hardly believe it. He actually writes that down. I can hardly believe it. Then he says, like, imagine this. How dare you? And don't fool yourselves, and then don't you realize so we're going to look at each one of these, and then we're going to look at the ways that he answers it by using values. The very first one, beginning in chapter 5, in chapter 5, verse 1, he says, I can hardly believe the report about the sexual immorality going on among you. And what's happening in this very first report is a man is sleeping with his stepmom. I told somebody uh, this week already, it's like, you had no idea that Corinth had so much in common with Middle Tennessee, did you? Yeah, Al Alabama. Excuse me, sorry. <laughs> Why did that one make more sense? Paul says, I, I can't even believe it. I can't believe it. How is this even possible? Like, has, has your parent ever looked at you and just said, what were you thinking? I mean, that's his full response to be completely exasperated by this situation. Because these aren't somehow outsiders. These are insiders. People in the church, members of the church. And Paul says, like his response to them is that the whole church should be in mourning over this issue. He actually uses funeral language. You should be crying and weeping because this sin has come and infected your church. He says it's like yeast that should be ripped out. It's, it's infected the whole thing, and you should be in mourning about it. Instead, what are they doing? Well, it doesn't say explicitly, but my guess is they're doing a whole bunch of nothing. Everybody knows what's going on, and no one is doing anything. No one's saying anything. 
So Paul steps up and he gives the most level-headed Christian response that you can think of, right? There's sin in the church, a man is sleeping with his stepmom, and Paul's response is, what? Do you know what it is? Paul's response is, kick him out! Just WWJD, right? You know, like, Paul's response is, kick him out! What are you waiting for? What are you waiting for? Why don't, why don't you just kick him out? And uh, so the value that's associated with is, in, and you can go ahead and put that next verse up there. In verse 12 of the same, kind of dealing with the same issue, he says, it isn't my responsibility to judge outsiders. All right, so what you need to know about all of these issues that we're about to talk about, all the how dare you's and I couldn't believe this and don't fool yourself and don't you realize, like all of this, like this isn't somehow, like this is all about in this room, okay? This is all stuff in the church. He said, this is, I'm not applying this to people outside the church. This is, this is for us. He says, it isn't my responsibility to judge outsiders, but it certainly is your responsibility to judge those inside the church who are sinning. How do you guys feel about this? I think the value that Paul associates or, or uses to answer the sin in this church, uh, I call it, uh, go ahead and put that next slide up there. It's called uh, put your big boy pants on. You guys know this expression? Uh, this, is, this is just an idea we have in some of our leadership team meetings. We have it in our staff meetings too. And that means that when we meet together, we're going to put our big boy pants on. And, and all that is to say is when we meet together, we're going to talk about the things that we need to talk about. Got it? Because honestly, I think the most loving thing we can do is tell the truth to someone. Now, our world and our culture and everything outside says the most loving thing you can do is ignore it. Right? We don't want to talk about it. We don't say a thing. Right? And Paul says maybe that's how they act out there. But in here, we talk about stuff we need to talk about. Keeping silent is not love. Love risks the relationship. I know if I say something, have you ever been in this situation? I know if I say something, it might cost this relationship. But I care enough about the other person to risk it. You know, true story, true, true, true stuff. We have called people out in this church in the most loving, caring, Christ-honoring way, and people have left the church here. It's happened. There's a sin going on in their life. One of our leaders or somebody of our church called them out on that sin, and the person left. How's it make you feel? You see, it's all about the kind of church Paul is trying to raise up. It's, the, it's about the kind of church that we need more of. It's a church that holds each other accountable, a church that recognizes the incredible gravity of sin. Paul says, kick the guy out of the church because he is talking like a parent trying to protect his kids, right? He wants to protect 
and guide, and he wants to create accountability within the church community. Now, this is pretty different from churches today, right? There are a million churches in our world today that you can come and be anonymous, right? You can show up, you can check your card, you can be anonymous, nobody even knows your name. And Paul says, I don't think this is how this is supposed to work. We're actually supposed to interact with each other and hold each other accountable. In church, put your big boy pants on. All right? So how do you guys feel about that? We okay with this? Some of you are like, nope, I'm out. <laughs> I love what he says. He says, he says, we have a new bread of sincerity and truth. And the truth is that sin creates incredible distance between us and God, right? And a loving Christian church response is always to address that sin. Always to hope for, and even Paul hopes for, this guy, he thinks he should be kicked out of the church, but he hopes for his return. We have to be a place that calls sin, sin, that recognizes it. And as a church, we have to be, each of us have to embody humility, right? Are, are any of you above someone else coming and telling you, hey, you know, you're really kind of messing up right there? What was your first reaction when I said that? If somebody came and tapped you on the shoulder and said, hey, you know, that thing that you're doing, I really don't know if that's quite, how would you feel? Well, I'm going to church in the city, you know, <laughs> like, is it? Because none of us like being called out, but we got to have a humble spirit, right? Like, it, it just creates a healthier space. So Paul moves from, I can hardly believe, to, man, you guys, put your, put your big boy pants on. Hold each other accountable. And then he moves on, and the very next section is the how dare you section. Because apparently what's happening in this church is that members of the church, again, we're talking about insiders, are taking each other to court. Right? There's some offense that one has committed against another. And, and in Greek culture, man, taking each other to court was like, it was kind of an unpopular thing. Right? Take, I'm going to take you before the judge. And so in this church, there are men and women who are Christians that are taking each other to court. And Paul says, how dare you? And he holds them to a higher standard. That's, that's really what happens. The, he holds them to a standard of ownership. I think I have, I think I have that. How dare you? Yeah, a higher standard of ownership. He says, is there such significant issues among you that you guys can't settle them yourselves? Do you see this? Like he sees a church that's operating in a completely different fashion than the world that surrounds it. Even addressing and drawing out. Do you know that Jesus himself in Matthew chapter 18 gives really explicit instructions on how believers are supposed to settle conflicts between believers? Do you remember what he says? Do you remember the process? He says, this is the way you move. This is the way you operate as a church. This is how, this is the value that shapes you as a church. A higher standard of ownership that has different expectations on its memberships. 
I love that language of ownership. You know, at Aspen Grove, this is, this is something we're always trying to, 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 man, when we hear ownership talk or when we hear ownership actions, that's something we always want to pour gasoline on. You know, ownership at Aspen Grove means, means owning the vision of Aspen Grove. We say it every single week. Our mission, our vision, our heartbeat is to grow followers of Jesus Christ, to make disciples. You know how you make disciples? You say something when you see sin. Right? See how this works? And owning a part of Aspen Grove means mean you're committed to that. I'm committed to this mission of growing followers of Jesus Christ. But you also support it. You know, we've got the tithe and offering boxes back there. Um, Carmen, what did you say? It Like, how did, how did you? Yes, keep things moving and grooving. That's right. I want you to know if you're a member at this church, our expectation is for you to give to the church. Right? Just saying it. It's how we operate together. It's how we hold each other accountable. It's how we keep things moving and grooving. That's right. Um, last week, we put out some requests for help. Uh, our trustees have done an amazing job, and we're in a new season. We want to see some new men and women come into this role as trustees. And, and as, as owners of the church, we always want to be communicating, hey, here's a need that we have. Here's a need that we have. Here's a need that we have. And what's so amazing is that last week, several people stepped up and said, hey, sign me up for that. I think I can be helpful. That's the attitude of owners, Right? Owners are, are looking for opportunities to serve. They have eyes to see and ears to hear. Owners don't wait to be asked, right? If you're an owner at Aspen Grove and you see something going on that's not quite right, you don't run to Adam and say, Adam, this is not quite right. You just fix it, right? You just move into that situation. You see a need and you meet it. You see a guest and you greet them. You make them feel welcome. And you aren't waiting for someone else to do it. And so when Paul sees the situation going on, he says, how dare you? And he raises the value he puts on them is a value of ownership, a higher standard. We answer to God, and God alone is our judge. Next he says, don't fool yourselves. In verse 9 and 10, I think I have that scripture of chapter 6. He says, don't you realize that those who do wrong will, will not inherit the kingdom of God? And he says, don't fool yourselves. Those who indulge in sexual sin or worship idols or commit adultery or, or male prostitutes or practice homosexuality or are thieves or greedy people or drunkards or are abusive or cheat people, none of these will inherit the kingdom of God. Now remember, who is this letter to? Is this to outsiders or insiders? So the assumption is that maybe some of this stuff is going on in the church. And Paul says, you're fooling yourself. You're fooling yourself. We do the same thing, I think, sometimes. Right? By pledging our allegiance to Christ, but then living however we want. Right? 
Some call it the gospel of cheap grace, right? Well, of course, I accepted Jesus when I was a kid, so what I do right now really doesn't matter that much. You ever hear this idea? And Paul says, don't fool yourself. Because none of these who claim Christ with their lips and live differently will inherit the kingdom of God. It's called alignment. Like in your relationships and your marriage, what happens when words and actions aren't the same? What happens when somebody says one thing and then does another thing? What happens? How does it make you feel? Pretty excited, right? <laughs> yeah, for sure. There's, there's distance. It, it creates space between us. And Paul says, man, you can't, you can't separate belief and obedience. Although we, I think we try to do that all the time. Of course I believe in Jesus. Uh, of course I believe, you know, everyone in Middle Tennessee is a Christian, right? Have you heard that? Everyone is claiming a Christ. But how many are actually being obedient to his will? Jesus says, why do you call me Lord, Lord, but don't even do what I say? So Paul says, don't fool yourselves. Those who do wrong won't inherit the kingdom of God. And then he says in verse 11, this is, this is super important and really the value behind this. He says, some of you were once like that. Like some of you were once holding on to these things. Some of you were struggling with these things. But now you were cleansed. But now you were made holy. But now you were made right with God. You were once like this, but now you are called to something different. By calling on the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of our God. The value he hits, and you can put that next slide up there, is real transformation. Real transformation. Real transformation is evident in the way you live. It's evident in the decisions you make. Do the people around you know that you are a Christian? Can they tell without seeing the ichthus on your bumper? <laughs> Paul reminds them and, and, and invites them into a whole new thing. He says, yeah, once you were like that, but now you've been cleansed. You've been made holy. You've been made right with God. You were made into something different and something new. And this isn't about whitewashing sin, but in Christ being made into something new. I love that, that Christ is making all things new. This newness is the result of real transformation. And it's not the result of just some sort of mental agreement, which is what I think mostly we see, right? Sure, I agree with, I'm a Christian, and it's not the result of, of just attendance, but real life change that's signified by obedience and discipline. And in light of this real transformation, sexual immorality and sexual sin, frankly, just don't make any sense at all. And the next issue he deals with in, in uh, uh, chapter 6, you can read all about it, is some guys at the church were going to see prostitutes. Why? 
Because that's what guys in Corinth did. Like this was, the, this was the norm. It had the temple of Aphrodite with a thousand priestesses, right? But in the Greek worldview and the outside of that church worldview, the body is just completely disposable, right? All that matters is the mind or the spirit. Like what happens with your body like doesn't really matter. They have this interesting idea of freedom, and we'll talk a little bit more about it next week. But they say, well, since I've given my life to Christ, I'm free to do whatever I want now. Now, maybe none of us would out and out go, oh, yeah, for sure I agree with that. But we see that happening, don't we? We see it happening. And so Paul comes back on top of this. Like, what are you... In what world do you think going to prostitutes is okay? And he comes back and he says, don't you realize? Look at these verses. Look at verse 15 through 18. He's going to repeat that phrase, don't you realize. Like all through chapter 5 and 6, he repeats this again and again and again. Don't you realize, don't you realize, don't you realize that your bodies are actually parts of Christ? Should a man take his body, which is part of Christ, and join it to a prostitute? What's the answer? Never. (laughs) And don't you realize that if a man joins himself to a prostitute, he becomes one body with her. For the scriptures say the two are united into one, but the person who is joined to the Lord is one spirit with him. You know, the essence of, of sacrilege is to use something in a way contrary to its design. Uh, I think maybe I told you this story, but I had some of the teenagers at the church one day where uh, they were, I had them put together something in my office. It was like a, because I'm mean and I make them work. Um, but I, it was like a, a chair or a bookshelf or something like that. And they needed a few simple tools. And, you know, it was no big deal. Go get the tool you need. And I walk into my office, and they're putting together this thing, and they're using my stapler as a hammer. <laughs> and that's sacrilege, right? Like, that's not what it's used for. That's not its purpose or its design. And it's really what it's, it's, at, it's at the root of pornography in our world, right? Because we take a person and turn them into a thing, right? They're no longer a person, but they're just used for some other purpose. And in chapter, uh, I'm sorry, in verse 13, He says, you can't say that our bodies were made for sexual immorality. He says, they were made for the Lord, and the Lord cares about our bodies. I I don't have a whole lot of time to go here, but I want to take a side note. Man, every one of you should take your highlighter, your pen, your marker, and underline that verse. The Lord cares about your bodies. Our world is ravaged with young men and women struggling with eating disorders and body image issues, right? We suffer from every kind of addiction, and I want to speak these words into every one of those hearts. The Lord cares about your body, and so should you. I think there's a powerful message there. 
Lord cares about your body. Like, like, like maybe your body is temporary, right? I'll, I'll give you that. It's flesh and bone. Like these things will return to dust one day. But just because it's temporary doesn't mean that it's disposable. Instead, in verse 18, here's what he says. Run from sexual sin, right? Not walk, not skip, not trot, not, you know, run. Because no other sin so clearly affects the body as this one does. For sexual immorality is a sin against who? It's, it's a sin against your own body, which the Lord cares about. So don't walk, run. Challenge everybody struggling with sexual immorality. Like, I just ask them about the voice in, in their head. Like, for this act or this deed or this website you've been visiting, like, pay attention to that voice urging you and compelling you what is it that's calling you to pursue your your own personal gratification in this way ask yourself if, if you can let's just like pause for a second and ask yourself where did that voice come from and whose voice is it is it the voice of god i think again Paul says, like, like a compassionate father, don't you realize? Have you ever been in that situa with, situation with somebody that their their life has just been consumed with this sin and you just want to like, you know, it's the don't you realize is the take both shoulders and don't you realize? Don't you realize? And finally, the big one. The big value that, that covers all of the other values. Uh, the one that frames the whole. It's the one that Paul is going to come back to in his letter again and again and again. It shows up in verse 19 and 20. There's that phrase again. Don't you realize? Don't you realize that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit who lives in you and was given to you by God? You do not belong to yourself for God bought you with a high price. So you must honor God with your body. Oh, there's so much there. Do you guys feel that? Do you feel the weight of that and how important these words are? I love when he says, you have been purchased. You've been bought with a high price. And he reinforces it right before that. He says, you don't belong to yourself. Let's say that together. I say, I don't belong to me. Let's say it. I don't belong to me. One more time. Do you believe that? Lord, I give you my heart. I give you my soul. Like we just sang those words, right? I sing them horrible. I know. Did you? Have you? When it comes to your money or your bank account, like, have you? Have you really? Paul says, he, he speaks into all of these issues that Corinth is facing. And the big message that he wants them to hear is, hey, just remember you don't belong to you anymore. 
powerful idea. And then to come around on top of that and to say, God bought you with a high price. In a way, he says, you're worth more than this. Do you see that? Like, I, I love this. Here they are. They're struggling with, you know, sleeping with near relatives and taking each other to court and prostitution and all of this. And, and Paul's really the overarching value that he wants them to see more than anything else is you are incredibly valuable. Imagine the impact of a church that not only embraced that value, but shared it and spread it. Who this week did you remind of their value, of their worth? I think that's part of our job as a church, right? To speak value into people's lives again. To remind, I, I want every teenage girl in here to know that you are incredibly valuable. In Christ's sacrifice for us, we find our value. God himself gave the greatest gift he could give. He paid the highest price, his own son, so that you and I could be free from this outside world, that you and I could be free from the sin of death, the, the sin that causes death and leads to death. He sacrificed his own son so that we could be together with him again. So in just a moment, we're going to have a time of communion, and uh, we have the table set up around the room. There'll be some instructions on the screen. This is sacred space for us. This is space to, to meditate and reflect and, and maybe respond. Maybe your values have been totally off, and you would like somebody to pray for you. Man, that's why we're here. That's our heart. Maybe the Spirit's stirring in you in a powerful way, and, and if so, man, we, we'd love to be with you and stand next to you and hold you, and maybe you just need to be reminded of your value in Christ. I just want you to know, during this next space, that's, that's what it's for. So you can find me or one of our other leaders. We'd, we'd be happy to speak value and worth into you. Just a couple closing thoughts. We went from, I can hardly believe, and how dare you, and don't fool yourselves, and don't you realize, to, hey, put your big boy pants on. You're held to a higher standard of ownership. Real transformation is what matters. And an important reminder that you've been bought with a high price. I think these are amazing values for a church. What would happen if all of our churches embraced these values in a real way? What could happen? But here's the thing. I don't think these values are limited just to the church. What would happen if your marriage embodied these values too? What would happen if your relationship with your kids or your coworkers, what if, what if you took these values into your workplace 
into your home. Would God be honored? Would his kingdom advance? You see, I think these values, maybe they start here, but I don't think this is where they're to end. How would our world and country be different if we embodied these values? Let's pray together. Father God, I thank you for your word, and uh, it's, it's deep and rich and, and challenging and, and doesn't pull any punches. And so, Father God, I, I just ask forgiveness. Forgiveness for my own sins, forgiveness for, um, uh, for, for all of the ways that I've chosen the world's values over yours. Father God, forgive us for the times that, that we shrunk from a conversation that maybe we really needed to have. God, forgive us of, of, of those times that we let somebody else pick up the reins of ownership. Father God, forgive us for when we've forgotten that our true value comes from you. So Father God, I hope these words, I, I hope that your word will speak to us in deep ways, that it will penetrate, in a, penetrate us in, in real ways. Father God, help us as a church, help Aspen Grove to embody these things. Forgive us for when we failed. Help us to find our life and our purpose in you and in your son Jesus. And it's in his name that everyone together says, I invite you to stand and enjoy time of communion together.